Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie reviews and discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these reviews and discussions might include spoilers. For this week's episode, I'm joined by BlayDisgusting.com's video game editor and my co-host on our horror video game podcast, Safe Room, that being Mr. Neil Bolt, to chat about the sensory assault that is Ben Wheatley's eco-horror film, In the Earth. So without further ado, Neil, welcome back to the show. Hello. Yes, crossing the streams once again. <laughs> <laughs> it's always great to uh, have you on here again, you know, to chat movies, the other side of uh, our horror spectrum of interests that uh, That's collide. It, yeah. <laughs> and especially this time we get to chat about a filmmaker that you definitely are more of a fan of, and I only sit, phrase it that way because it's a filmmaker that I only myself just became familiar with uh, within the last few weeks. Um, I had seen In the Earth at some point last year, but wasn't familiar with the rest of his catalog. And then just within the last two to three weeks, I made time to watch uh, Kill List, which is regarded as one of his sort of like breakout big films in terms of the popularity of yeah. that movie. And then I watched something that's at the other end of his uh filmmaking spectrum which was one of his more hollywoodized movies that being uh high rise that had mm. tom hiddleston and whatnot and i guess you know it it's one of the films that he's made recently that just has more of a studio backing it has the kind of like a wider uh appeal yeah. maybe because of the people that are in it compared to his earlier films which are more cult status if you will uh more films that kind of like genre fans and whatnot really gravitated towards but maybe not the rest of the maybe mainstream film consumers uh, were super aware of it. And I think that's the best thing about um, In the Earth, is that it comes at a point where he seemingly has moved into this, oh, we'll just do stuff for Hollywood, and sometimes it feels like maybe he's going to be not wanting to do that. And then circumstances force him to try to go back to what he had to do and try and improvise and scrape and scrounge, and that's why it just feels perfectly like the first half of his career you know it's that kind of this is definitely a Ben Wheatley film you know it's often harder to see it as the further it gets along I mean ironically we record this the day they've mentioned that you know they are starting shooting on the new Meg film which he is directing which you know as we were saying off air on Savoring that you know it'd be fascinating to see how that turns out how much it's the studio and how much it's you know Ben Wheatley I mean if I remember rightly the first film ended up with a lot of Chinese backing and so that sort of nullified some of what they were going to do with it so I, I kind of hope it's not the same and they do let him get a bit freaky especially as it's based on the trench stories on that one and that would be some mm. it'd be funny if once again, Ben Willey does a story that someone else is kind of doing, but in his very, very own way. You know, James Wan wanted to do that trench story in Aquaman. So, yeah, it, that would be amazing if he can get that right. But we shall see. But we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> it's funny enough that you mentioned James Wan, though, because he's a director that I would somewhat compare to Wheatley in that, like, Wan very... Uh, it's well known that, like, he stepped away from the horror genre for a while doing his, you know, Aquaman movie. And then, of course, he was doing Fast and the Furious and these more big budget Hollywoodized movies and then returned to horror with Malignant, right? And kind of able to pick apart some of the stylistic things that he was known for that he had either expanded on or came back to that were sort of like his 
standard toolbox that that mm. uh, he was using for so long. And with Wheatley, it's interesting to kind of, in the limited amount of his filmography that I've watched, seeing how he tries to bring some of his own maybe more stylistic elements into the Hollywoodized versions of the films that he's making, and then how much of that is actually kind of like interfered with because of the very nature of them being Hollywoodized and whatnot. Um, and so for you, I guess, as a fan of Wheatley's films, how would you describe his style of filmmaking? Because it's a very unique and it's a very standout, even for somebody like me that watches a lot of maybe the, the weirder, more niche horror films that are out there. He has a style, I think, that really stands out and feels like a very, uh, somewhat of an eclectic taste. Um, yeah, I would say, and this is something that will probably be raised as a criticism by people that don't like his films, is I would say his style is obnoxious and uncaring of the viewer. You know, it's very much an experience of like, no, if you like, you get on board with it or you don't. It's like, but I'm not making a pleasant film here. You know, when he's doing something that is very much him, I, I mean, if we go to Kill List, for instance, you know, it, most of it is a kitchen sink drama about a couple just very much out of love, bickering, and really, and him being deeply troubled by his own you know, PTSD. And it's horrible and brutal just to see that side of it. And then and you don't want to care for such characters. And that's always the point with these films. It's like, you know, it's not really about caring about the characters. You know, it's very much a case of, no, these are nasty people and they're in a nasty situation and here's how it's nastier. And I like that he can take that sort of very British, you know, drama style of like, oh, look, it's groom up north kind of thing, if you will, where everything's, everyone's struggling and everything looks like it's a bit uh, normal, you know? And then always twists it in some way. Like he take, you know, we'll get onto it within the earth in a minute, where he'll take something very normal, very relevant and utilize it in his own special way and I think In the Earth very much does it more than most I mean this is a film that was filmed during obviously lockdown and Covid and all that and you know we've seen films deal in that well and not so well but you know up with Host this is probably the best use of the pandemic in terms of trying to make art around it that, that doesn't directly reference the, you know covid it, it uses it as like a mysterious background thing that's going on and a disease and it's like and yeah and then that in itself kind of feeds into the rest of the story as you'll find but yeah he's just not really caring about what the viewer wants in that regard he wants you to just sort of go along for the ride like like being in the room with a couple arguing you know you don't want to be there but at the same time, there's a bit you. It's like I kind of want to know what's going to happen next, like sort of thing. It's it just is it going to get volatile, violent, whatever. And yeah, he puts you in these uncomfortable situations and weird situations, stuff that just. I mean, this feels very much like a field in England run through the blender of kill lists in a way, but not quite so mean spirited and aggressive as either of those. It's um, yeah. It, that's why it feels very much like him coming back to what he did so well, 
you know, it, it's him saying, yeah, this, this, I'm comfortable, I'm happy doing this, and you can feel it. It's, I, and that's why I really hope that it will be something that sort of reinvigorates him to try and get more of him back in his films, or to pepper his own projects in between doing bigger things. Yeah, I've found that I'm, I'm kind of amazed by his ability to create these scenarios that are as uncomfortable as you said, and it's filled with the majority of characters that you're not really given any real reason to invest in or take a liking to, but I just love that the entire thing is orchestrated so that way he is unapologetic in the fact that he's going to force you into those types of uncomfortable situations with characters mm. that you might not be a fan of or you might not even want to succeed. And yet, just as the film maybe is reaching to a point where you're like, okay, I, I need a little bit more out of this. And I'm thinking uh, about Kill List specifically in terms of it going from that very kitchen sink drama to immediately kind of like turning on a dime and almost evolving into something else. Even yeah. though, of course, there have been those sort of like breadcrumbs and indications that it's heading in that direction. But his ability to really just take all of that aggression and all of that uncomfortableness and then funnel it down another completely separate avenue, seemingly, in terms mm. of the different twists and turns. And again, Kill List is uh, in my mind's eye at the moment because I just rewatched that actually uh, over the weekend just because I was so amazed at his blending of those genres and how seamless it is. Yeah. It doesn't feel like he's kind of like slamming on the brakes and then starting again with this new half, the back half of that film and whatnot. And In the Earth, I think, succeeds in that same way. But like you had said, it's probably the least offensive use of the COVID pandemic and making that central to the film without really making it the central element of the film. Yeah. And, you know, I think we've seen, there's been a couple of examples during the course of this seemingly never-ending pandemic where people have tried to make movies about the pandemic and they've all been about the pandemic and it's almost feels exploitive and in some cases yeah. it is considering like there was some zombie movie I think that it was called like coronavirus zombies or something mm. like that which something ridiculous and clearly exploitive of a tragedy that's been occurring but with this film it's more about capturing people and how people either don't change or how they try to evolve and uh, adapt to situations as they're ever changing. And he does such a great job, I think, of just capturing that these massive events have an impact on people, whether or not they actually realize that. And that's something that I think on a rewatch of In the Earth, I came away with a better appreciation because much like his other films, these are not necessarily characters that I had a great fondness for, but. I was more captivated by the ways in which he captures uh, mm. their sort of, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it a sort of maybe relearning how they are supposed to interact with others, because that's something yeah. from the outset of the film that he very clearly captures, and yes. it really does run through the entire film in a way that you kind of get the sense like, do I need to now myself living through the pandemic need to check the way I'm interacting with people and getting more comfortable with interacting with strangers again or these different types of uh, yeah. issues that have arrived from the COVID <laughs> pandemic yeah and I mean another aspect of what he does well with these kind of characters is that they are the perfect vessel for black comedy you know he mm. really does and you know having someone like Reese Shearsmith in this film is, is key to that you know he's an actor that is you know very much staged in comedy but you know with inside number nine and he's shown and league of gentlemen he's shown that 
they can, he's, he can do both. He can do the sinister and the, the funny. And yeah, there's such perfect line delivery sometimes in this film from him. Yeah, where it's clearly him making a joke that, that of someone who's kind of lost their mind. But we'll get we'll get back to that because I suppose we haven't really sort of touched on what this actually is uh, as a film. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing I enjoy talking with you so much about horror, whether it be games or movies, that I always end up inevitably skimming over the parts that we already know. But for those who haven't seen In the Earth, uh, it's essentially a film about a world, much like our own, that is uh, currently being devastated by a virus. They never delve much into the virus other than the fact that it is essentially following a similar trajectory that we have been dealing with during the COVID pandemic. We've seen people beginning to flee cities and whatnot, mm. reaching out more to nature, moving out further to try to isolate from other people. We encounter various people that haven't had a lot of human contact in a while. They've been out in the field doing various research and studies. And basically the film's premise is about a scientist and a park ranger who venture into the wilderness to reconnect with a science team that has not communicated with the base, home base essentially, uh, in a substantial amount of time. And so yeah. it's very much about understanding what has happened with the science team, but more so I think it's more about these people being forced into this uncomfortable reality of sort of what their new reality is. And of course, in typical Wheatley fashion, he's able to blend several subgenres of horror into one um, and making for a film that I think is very unique, but is also very confrontational maybe with people's idea of what horror is and the different ways in which horror can reflect current yeah. events. Um, but I think that this film, and we'll get into it, this film I think definitely does a, a better job than most in some regards in terms of capturing the feeling rather than maybe me highlighting any specific character or narrative beat that captures that especially well. It's more about, I think, Wheatley's handling of all of these subgenres and blending them in a way that doesn't feel exploitative again of sort of the very current events and real world events that he's referencing throughout the film. Yeah, and there's this whole science versus nature debate and like this, which again is another thing that's bristled all the way through this way where there are people that think, oh no, we can find ways to solve this through nature. Oh, there are ways to solve it through science. And that core concept goes through it and the idea that what you're saying on either side is the same thing you know it's like na nature is science science is nature you know th these two things all come together they they go hand in hand and you know, the phrase is in there you know it's like where Richard Smith's um, character Zach says about photography that it seems like magic but so does everything that you don't understand you know it's like and yeah it's and that is a great blend in the story as it goes. You know that you have this thing which seems almost fantastical, but it's very much grounded in science and the idea that you could talk to trees and they, they speak if you have the right equipment and uh, you know the occult style documents that they have are both kind of grounded in reality and also have that just a little hint of doubts throughout yeah, that really sort of gets to the point it's like is everyone involved in this just obsessed and mad and trying to hide away from everything going on in the, the real world or is this just are they just feeling the real world more because they've escaped you know everything going on out there and that's again just a fascinating sort of little mini story that doesn't 
you know, they, they get into it here and there, but they don't push it. You know, nothing gets shoved down your throat about it. It's pretty much like, no, this is, you know, this, this is the debate. It's like, they aren't sure really. They just believe, you know, even between the two scientists you know, that you have, they are basically bickering and arguing about two sides of the same argument. Um, but ultimately coming to the same conclusion, you know, it's like you know, one scoffs at science and says it's you know got to be worshipped like a god, this thing in the forest that they think is basically the heart of nature. And then you have the scientist who's very much still into the idea it's science and saying, oh, no, no, but if we do this, I've got a very scientific way of communicating with it and just sees it as a living thing rather than some sort of fantastical creature. And again, smart use of, you know, little budget in the sense of that you don't really see anything really supernatural or, or you know, there's no monsters, nothing like that. It's very much a psychological trip. And I know you haven't seen a field in England, but mm-hmm. I said this before, you know, Wheatley loves his woods. You know, it's like, yeah. we think of Kyola's field in England, sightseers, this, you know, he, he loves sort of delving into what's out in the woods, you know, no matter what's going on. I think he's must have fallen asleep watching The Wicker Man a few too many times when he was a kid. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like oh, all this pagan stuff is it's really for me, so I'll keep going. But yeah, it's great that he does that because it really does just lend this sort of connective tissue between those two films. But especially because Reese Cheerson's character kind of feels like he could be the same character that he plays in a field in England, which is obviously absurd uh, absurd as an idea because that character is centuries old at that point (laughs) or dead and the tone is very different there where that uh, field in England is just as trippy just as about you know a presence out in the fields of England and but also has such a vein of black comedy I mean I'd liken a field in England to Wheatley's Shakespeare, you know, it's, it feels very Shakespearean in terms of how the characters are. There's all, you know, it's a character who's essentially a bard, you know, in there singing his songs, and but it also has that very grounded, you know, messy, horrible. This, this is what life would have actually been like during revolution and all that. And yeah, in the Earth again, does feel like the modern equivalent of that, and possibly that's why it feels a bit safer in a lot of ways because until it's not um, but you know, it's, it, it's because you know it just feels like modern life isn't as dangerous as oh well you know you, we're in a war here and now there's just everything's terrible and, and anything could kill you because there's no real medical treatment out here for this and yeah it brings a little of that back to the modern world in its most brutal scenes you know and going back to what I was saying before we sort of rounded back on the plot. Um, Richard Smith Zack is the unhinged scientist who believes in that this is some sort of god to be worshipped and to communicate with by doing rituals from the book as he sees it. Uh, he ends up you know, beating up and drugging these two unfortunates who have come out to the, try and rescue them ironically and yeah he's just so horribly detached from reality at this point but he clearly makes jokes you know like that he thinks are funny but doesn't sort of realize the context of it makes them not funny which i get it feels like like you said a very micro 
observation on the idea that you know, in the pandemic, the more you are apart from people, that you kind of lose that social courtesy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, or social filter. <laughs> yeah, this is it. it. And this, it's probably the grisliest scenes in the film uh, in, involve poor. <laughs> Involve feet, let's put it this way, to, to yeah. put it nicely. Um, poor Joel Fry, you know, you may know him, for, he was in Game of Thrones, I believe, point, who plays Martin. He absolutely goes through the ringer in this film with his feet. You know, the, there's a very graphic sort of stitching up of his foot that is like, oof, yeah, that's a bit much. It's like the anti Tarantino, you know, in terms of like feet, because <laughs> like, it's like, the other it's like someone's. The cinematic foot spectrum. Yeah. I want to see surprise Tarantino didn't come out and lobby this, you know. <laughs> so, so you can't do this defeat. Um, yeah, but then later, of course, you know the, the stitching is very badly done, and so it has to be amputated again. You don't know how to much to believe this because it's all being said by this that guy who is very you know, out there and kind of feels like he's toying with them and just trying and just brutal and just, he's trying to do something. He believes is right, and it's hard to know if it's what he thinks is he's supposed to be doing, or what he's being told to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so he ends up having to chop, you know, the toes off of Joel Fry's character Martin. Um, in a really, I mean, it's a scene that just makes you wince because he keeps doing the, the very great comic timing and the swing of the axe on the thing like that he just says everything so matter-of-factly like oh my axe will probably get through that sort of thing like that no no sort of care no concern just everything is said such a matter-of-fact way he reminds martin at one point that he's not a doctor and martin goes yeah i yeah. know and you can know. Say, like that's why he's so fucking stressed <laughs> out about it and again he doesn't say it like he's annoyed or aggravated he just says it and so matter of fact it's just like i love it it's like because it's <laughs> he just wants to wind them up at that point and yeah, and he keeps taking swings and missing like that and, and like moaning at them for the fact that he's missing because then they're, they're going on so much. And it's clear what he's doing is just trying to wind him up to the point where he can just do it when he's distracted. And then ends up taking, you know, half the toes off <laughs> and very literally. And the, the delivery, I could not do it myself, but it's just the, the way he just looks at him and just half off like that. And <laughs> it, it's just, it makes me laugh each time. And you know, it's like, it's not exquisitely like a punchline, but it is, you know, and that very much comes from Cher Smith's sort of delivery, as I said. Uh, he gets another one later uh, near the end in his um, demise when he's, he's sort of the, the whole delivery of the line of um, that's how accidents happen sort of thing when he's already <laughs> just, it just makes it, the whole thing is very great. Uh, like, and yeah, it's, it adds such great comic tragedy to things that it takes you out of it a little but in the possibly the right way you know mm-hmm. i think it, it works for the film for me yeah i think that i mean my favorite bit from him having to have more than one go with the axe to get his foot off his uh, toes off is that as soon as he only lops half of it off he points at uh, Martin and he goes, well, that's your fault because you were like moving around a bit. He immediately chastises him for that. Yeah. But I think that the dark humor that's a little more overt, I think, in this than the other two films I'd seen, even though one would say that High Rise in and of itself, the entire thing is a dark comedy based on the different uh, twists and turns that movie takes. But I think that the more overt dark humor that's in In the Earth really does help, I think, maybe some people or people that aren't familiar with Wheatley's work 
to maybe not bounce off of it or have as visceral of a reaction mm. to it, maybe, perhaps, as some of the other uh, films that he's made, which if you're not anticipating something like Kill List, I could see some people going into it and being like, well, this is just too random for me or I don't understand the <laughs> blendings of these genres. And, you know, I didn't have a greater appreciation for In the Earth till I'd seen a couple of his other films because this film, I think, does the best blending of so many of those different subgenres and horror in general that we talked about because he does such a great job of grounding the wilderness, which is obviously the setting of the film. I think that he has such a pristine attention to capturing the eeriness of the woods without it being overtly hostile or without having something very supernatural occur at any point really throughout yeah. the film. And that does such a great job that, and you know, I, as somebody that spent a lot of time in the woods during the summer down south and stuff like that, he captures so many little nuances to being in the woods by yourself or with one other person that really do build a sense of tension without having, you know, that nothing's happening mm. in big air quotes, but he's able to elicit <laughs> a certain level of tension or suspense in replicating what it feels like to be out in the wilderness like that in that you always assume if you stop for a moment that oh some i feel like somebody's watching me i feel like something is stalking me or you hear a branch yeah. crack in the distance and you immediately assume oh that must be a person that's stalking me that type of thing which i think he captures really well because then when the thing the plot actually takes a direction that is okay there are there is a threat out in the woods we can literally see the threat and we can see that this threat has been preying upon people for quite some time it's the type of thing where you are, at least feel like you're being primed for it it doesn't feel like it kind of came out of nowhere it's like well of course this is the natural progression of this and if anything yeah. i find that to make what you more or less are kind of expecting throughout the course of the film in terms of like okay yeah they lost uh, contact with those scientists because, yeah, they lost their minds to different degrees. But he does such a good job, I think, of layering the tension throughout the film without having like, oh, I saw something behind that tree. You know what I mean? Having so many of those kind of mm. either red herrings or fake out moments or jump scare moments and things like that. Not that he's necessarily big on those, but just the kind of standard genre approaches to horror movies that are set in the woods Wheatley feels like he's actively working against in a lot of ways. And it's, again, very nuanced and it's very quick little moments that if you aren't paying attention, you'll miss. But I think that at the end of the day, it bolsters what overall is fairly familiar, but it makes them seem more, you know, organic to the entire flow of the film in a way that I just love. Because then by the time you get to the reveal and whatnot, it doesn't feel so unbelievable or maybe as fantastical as it should because the woods themselves are portrayed as being fantastical throughout the entire film and just the ways in which people talk about it the demeanor of the people that were meeting in the woods and this is really where i think his addressing current events in the pandemic primarily really comes across in the smartest way in that it's the nuances of people's behavior and relationships rather yes. than Oh, I've my entire family got wiped out. I lost a small child to the pandemic. Those types of very standard uh, pandemic tropes that have been in horror plenty of times before. Yeah. And you know, I think about just little interactions or lines of dialogue that stand out. And it's kind of like at one point, I think early on in the movie, they say Martin needs a guide and to go through the woods. And he goes, "Well, it doesn't look hostile to me." And, and the reality is, is that at the end of the day, the most hostile people are going to be people. 
uh, or the most hostile threat is always going to be people, whether that's a commentary on society pre or post pandemic or just in general, it's the type of thing where you realize like, well, something, you don't have to have a massive conflict right out the gate because just no. people being within proximity to one another already has its inherent risks. Yes, and I feel like they make no qualms about letting you know that Zach is not going to be nice from the outset. You know, when they, you know, they are mysteriously beaten in the night, you can clearly hear it's Reese Shearsmith who's one of the people doing it. It's like, if you're really listening, and the fact that he then shows up later, but it adds a real edge to things because it's, you know, it's perfectly done. You have this idea he could well be dangerous, but why has he done this? Why is he now being kind? What's going on mm. like that? And it really settles into that. And just to go back to what you're saying about you know Wheatley in the woods, I, th- I think of the film that I saw last year that also to sort of dealt in you know the elements of things in the woods and woodland horror was Gaia. And I like that less. It's a shorter film that feels twice as long as this you know and not, not a ringing endorsement no and which is weird because it's got so much more you know, it's very action focused and I think what takes you out of that film most of all is the fact that they pretty much just say here's the clickers from The Last of Us they are the enemy in this film which they look cool but it's like it just sort of loses track of what it wants to do with that after a while and it's like cool fungus grows on people and they turn into these things great we've seen this um, whereas in the earth, yeah, just it's very telling, you know, to me that it's that sort of film from Wheatley that you know you have this ambiguity and that I can sit there and watch it and not really feel the need to sort of look at the time and go, mm, yeah, and that was, I know, I hate to say I do at all, but it's just it gets natural because these days you know if i'm going to keep watching films sometimes i'm going to have to watch half a film or maybe a full film depending on how much time is left but yeah this is something magical you know in how it works and how it addresses the sort of woodland horror i love horror in the woods and especially when it sort of taps into what makes the woods sinister rather than the people in the woods necessarily which you know is also dealt with here very well before uh, we move on from like mentioning zach i think that that interaction early on is an interaction that more or less like the viewer is going to assume that yeah he had something to do with the fact that they Mm. attacked him at the same time though i think wheatley sets the stage well enough that there is a at least for me there is a moment where i'm hesitant to immediately label him at least initially as being a threat because again, this is the reality of the pandemic and the ways in which yeah. we interact with people. These little interactions that all of a sudden have bec- had this extra layer of tension added to them, whether either party is going to invoke it on the other or not, or bring that to the table as it were. This idea that you have to be careful about your proximity to people. Like early on, yes. I think uh, when they initially meet, they start to take a step towards Zach and he goes, well, hold on, we need to keep our distance. And that's one of those yeah. things that is such a it seems like it's offhand and it's just like a a second and then they move on the conversation but it's one of those things that adds a certain layer of tension there whether or not he they get attacked because all of a sudden it's like well your very presence is a threat to me which and it's not lost to me the idea that like people being in the woods is very much a threat to nature in and of itself which i really love how they kind of wrap that and tie that into obviously the eco horror nature of the entire film 
But there are so many little instances of dialogue like that early on that made me question, well, am I being overly sensitive? Is this somebody that you need to worry about? Or is this just somebody that is that is clearly suffering from like withdrawals with society um, in a way that, you know, again, like as somebody that spent a great deal of time in the woods, you run into people in more rural parts of the country where it's like, yeah, they, it might take them 30 minutes to get to town or something like that. They don't converse yeah. with people as often as we do. And then you find yourself in a situation with somebody like that and they don't mean anything by it and you don't mean anything by it, but there is an awkwardness to that type of interaction. And it's almost as if you see the person or you realize through an interaction with someone like that, that they're relearning almost how to behave within yeah. the uh, confines of other people. And that's something that Wheatley, I think, captures really, really well within the context of uh, In the Earth. Yeah. And in a way, I think that Zach then weaponizes the idea of distance and like having this oh, you know, under the pretense of being like, well, you know, stuff's happening. He's long since gone past the point where he'd care, really. But he's, you learn that, you know, he's clearly had this routine with other people and using other people. And that in itself is feels like it speaks to the idea of the person that rejects the idea of what's going on and there's a bet the solution is to, to ignore it and embrace nature while the bodies pile up as it goes and yeah so he kind of uses that as an excuse to keep them away from wherever he is so like when he goes obviously that part is little his tents where he doesn't want them to be you know yeah. they won't follow because he's made no I want you know and you know his uh ex-wife you know who they're also searching for when they meet her later she does the exact same thing and the smart thing about that when they introduce her is again she does pretty much the same things he does but in this more scientific wording you know and explains it that way whereas he's very sort of approachable and like i mean he makes a very keen point about saying you know if you say things in the right way you know you, if you have a kindness in your voice and a kind word that people will listen to you like that and that's how he gets them to you know he tricks them into drugging them and getting them to help him out in his ritual but you know when it comes to her i forgot her name, i should say the name um yeah dr olivia mm -hmm. she basically does bamboozles them in the same way with science you know uh, she knows Joe Fry's character Martin as well from before and she's basically dazzling him with the idea of what she's learned and trying to get and trying to sort of create a divide between him and Alma, Alma. yeah and yeah so it, it gets to be very fascinating and the way they sort of correlate and again it just keeps that theme running of like both different approaches same outcome you know and we learn why you know that that is it's just that they are both really on the same mission when it comes down to it well i think also again that comes down to just human nature and the way that people are not that different but some people within the confines of certain situations they learn how to essentially like manipulate people whether or not they have a prior uh, prior relationship with them or not it's this idea though that it's like, well, one person you're gonna view as inherently hostile based on maybe some biases or prejudices and things like that, but then you have somebody that could be just as hostile that basically like glams up what they're saying or they yeah. talk a big, uh, all the intricacies of their work and all the finer little points, but then at the end of the day, 
they have the same motivations as somebody else. And mm. so that's one of those things that I found again about Wheatley's keen eye on humans and the way that we interact, whether or not the film takes the more horror centric nature that it does, but just the ways in which people can very openly, once you start to pick up on those specific tells, the way in which they're allowed to essentially camouflage themselves within the confines of a society and whatnot. Yeah. And yet they could be just as dangerous as the guy wielding the ax that's lopped off half of your foot. Um, and I think again, like that attention to capturing just the ways in which people interact with one another is so much more engaging. And it's to, mm. I had the same experience as you, like once in a while, occasionally I check my phone when I'm watching movies. It's kind of just this, uh, the minor addiction to one cell phone that seemingly all of us have, <laughs> but it's, the type of thing though where this was not one of those films where I found myself checking my phone with any frequency because I was so keyed into those relationships and the highlighting of that to the degree where it's like okay the film very smartly and you know I would be interested to hear your take on this I felt that this is more of like an experience film maybe than any mm. particular performance or plot point really shining it was more for me about his ability to just capture what feels like a very raw interaction between people, but then have this very sensory heavy experience of capturing the wilderness with the same amount of detail, but it is not having obviously that human uh, aspect to it. Yeah, I mean, what I, you know, the first time I watched it, I very much did feel that way, that it was, you know, my big takeaway and my big love of it was like, yes, this is very much an experience that I was jealous of anyone that got to go to the cinema in that very small window of time that it, uh, that came out and people were able to do that because you know that would have been amazing you know, like that to, to see that sort of thing in the cinema but i don't know on a second watch i feel there is character there it's just it's so subtle and it is in the mannerisms and the little things and like you know we were just saying about the appearances of people and how they to seem, um, you know, Zach, despite his, you know, confrontational approach when they figure him out, he's very affable and he doesn't seem to be anything other than just, oh, he's just, you know, a guy in the woods, you know, who just has to be living off the land. But when you meet Olivia, she's wild-eyed. You, you can see it in her straight away that there is, she is wired and very much like has been so focused on her work that she doesn't see anything else like that but they're bewitched by her all the same you know they're still that they can't quite get past that you know that they don't see what she really is and what she's really because that she is just the same as Zach when it comes down to it and little things like that are in the acting I, I feel in terms of how the characters are portrayed because it feels like a deliberate choice it, it does and I think Joe Fry as Martin does come across very much like Reed Shearsmith comes across in a field in England where he's this sort of cowardly lion character who's like reluctantly here but you know and the story basically says you know it's like everyone's been compelled to come here rather than wanting to come there you know and everything that he just feels very much like a fish out of water and it's great you know it's it sells a lot of what goes on because he just he's freaking out and worrying like and like he's very even in the face of like 
sheer danger he's like he's still sort of like kind of hoping that everything's going to be okay and not but also being jittery as hell little things like that it's really nuanced I, I say it's like it's not yeah, it's not a film a film of words so much a lot of the time um, most of it is just like you know jargon 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 exposition exposition but the instances where it matters you know like I said there's certain line deliveries certain aspects of what people say and do it matters so much I think to where the film goes and I, I think yeah I can see how people might not get that from it. I can totally see that because it is very much bigging up and you know, pushing this whole audio visual thing front and centre and by the end it's like wow you know it really is just taking you to you know if you hadn't taken it all before that you, you've taken one now <laughs> sort of sort of thing it's like which again it calls back to a field in England where you just had this you know constant flash of colours and shapes and kaleidoscopic visions you know I mean in that case you know the film's black and white and it it's interesting that they did it like that but here it's yeah it's just colour and sound and Clint Mansell's soundtrack is just mm. you, know, you know he's a long time collaborator with Darren Aronofsky and it, you know it shows I think it has that Wheatley and Aronofsky share some sort of DNA I feel in terms of how they approach something and I'm the unpleasant side, you know? And when I think of Wheatley at his worst in that sense, it's, you know, the same as Aronofsky with like Requiem for a Dream or Mother, you know, mm. or The Wrestler even, where just stuff that feels very grounded and normal and mean-spirited is in there that makes you kind of feel like, oh, God, I, I kind of feel for these characters even when they're awful, you know, sort of thing. And, yeah, so Clint Mansell being on the soundtrack just feels perfect. I think he did High Rises as well, actually, thinking about it. So I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so he's done that. I think he was worked with Archon Wook as well. I said that he right did around. Moon as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah, so Duncan Jones Moon. So, you know, he's got a, a real style that suits him, and, and it really is just one of those. But I think, I think uh, Ben Wheatley said that the soundtrack was actually partially recorded with plants yeah. so yeah it's which is just gobsmacking but yeah i've listened to that soundtrack outside the film a couple of times it just yeah it's not work music i'll say that but it is like <laughs> it's like it, it, I, honestly if I'm trying to relax and sort of doze off for a bit sometimes it's actually kind of works it just mm-hmm. you know as foreboding and like doom feeling as it can be it, it's kind of it just has something about it that really tickles my fancy if you will i think that it's the perfect complement to his visuals like you said it does he does such a manzel does such a great job of just balancing out or even exemplifying the very sort of just visceral emotions that sometimes you can't even sort of classify in some ways in terms of like what a certain because it's such a sensory overload at so many points within the movie i mean say what you will about all of the uh, acidic sort of kaleidoscope instances throughout the film or the slow-mo or like capturing drops of rain or something falling on a plant. But then you have music that at times there's little bits of it that will match almost what is appearing on screen. But then sometimes it'll be something that is completely, it seems like it's completely out of place sometimes. And yet it completely uh, complements that overload and what that must feel like. And, you know, there's that, 
hazmat section where um, oh, they, just, yeah. they basically get stuck in the camp because this fog that will supposedly kill them or render them unconscious surrounds it. So then Alma, of course, puts on a hazmat suit and tries to venture through it and basically has the worst trip of her life. And that whole segment is both chaotic, it's sort of whimsical at times, it's fantastic, but at the end of the day, yeah. it's terrifying in a way that yeah. you can't quite put your finger on it other than the fact that it's so overwhelming. That's primarily why I find it to be so terrifying, but it has so many sort of like peaks and valleys in terms of the emotional spectrum in there where yeah. you're being stressed out both visually and auditory, but it has such gorgeous visuals at times. And so it's just this very, this very free flowing, ever evolving sensory uh, exposure that, you know, maybe that's not for everybody, but it definitely works for me because of it kind of capturing the chaos of what these characters are dealing with, not only in the moment, but again, we don't necessarily, I don't remember if they say how long their pandemic's been going on for, but it kind of captures what I assume they've been de dealing with, which is a chaotic uh, series of emotions that have highs and lows and the way in which he's able to really just capture that with, again, those visuals and the soundtrack, of course, I think is really, really well done. So it's funny that you mentioned that your appreciation or maybe you picked up on something differently or inferred things differently on your second viewing of the film or on your most recent viewing. For me, this was my second viewing and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I very much appreciated what In the Earth does, which is something that I found um, Arrival did, in that I found In the Earth was very similar to that film, except of course of having uh, ex the extraterrestrials be aliens. Wheatley kind of captures a similar thing, but with nature. And he very much yeah. portrays nature as being this extraterrestrial thing, except of course it's in our own backyard. But it's the ways in which he really treats sort of like the first contact, if, uh, if you will, and the attention to that. And rather than saying that, okay, the wilderness is our savior or the wilderness is going to be the end of us all, it's more about contact and it's more about forming a bond. And while yeah. there might be more supernatural things at bay with uh, Parnag Feg, which is the folk tale of this creature or spirit that inhabits the woods and all these things, the film more or less shows just like how people are so susceptible to these outside forces or these forces that they think they might understand, but truly they do not. Um, mm. And that was the element that I think made me appreciate this movie a lot more on my second rewatch because, or on my re initial rewatch, because initially I very much was of the opinion like this is just a sensory experience. And while I still think that the sensory elements are stronger for me than any particular performance or anything like that. I get a better appreciation for Wheatley's maybe condemnation of humans and our sensibilities and how easily we can be manipulated. And I think even in a couple of the conversations they talk about, the various characters talk about the fact that people create stories to make sense of things that they don't understand, which yeah. if you think about it kind of shows that people as uh, all of the different technological advancements we've had and things like that, people haven't changed all that much in the no, sense that, no. I mean, what did people do hundreds of thousands, millions of years ago? It's like, well, they told stories to explain things they didn't understand. And we see that here in, the, you know, in some more, uh, well, I don't know if they were more gruesome ways, but it's more of a modern sort of showing that people at the end of the day are not, I think we give ourselves a little too much credit in terms of how far we've come sometimes. Yeah, I, I was actually going to touch on the same thing myself. Um, 
there's a snobbishness, you know, I think, where it's the sense of, oh, look at these people believing in this thing, whilst they themselves are, are believing in the same thing, and again, twisting it in a way that suits their idea. And again, this is very much the thing that is going on in the world. You know, there are people taking, that get so close to the point of something that's going on, but miss it completely. <laughs> because they they want it to fit their idea, their their agenda. You know, it's like there are people that will, for instance, want a government out because of the way that they're handling the pandemic. But the reason they want them out is because they don't want they don't want to wear a mask and they don't want mm. to be um, kept locked in their houses, even though they're not being kept in their houses. Um, so they're closed because the government are shit at doing the pandemic, but they're not getting the real point is the government of shit and ordinarily they would just vote for the government but it's the fact that they personally feel affronted and that their little fragile lives have been you know upset slightly and yeah it, it's just a proof of concept you know you, you see that everywhere that, that there's going to be the, the main message of this film shown in life which is everybody's kind of trying to make the same point we're all kind of coming at it in a very, very different way, you know, and yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes very hard to realise that, and you, you will end up despairing at what people will say and do, and you're like, but, you know, you know that if you had that conversation with them, that you could maybe sort of get them to see that you're, you're doing the same thing, and it's just someone else trying to create a divide or a distraction, whether it shouldn't be one, and I think really beyond that message the other message of the film is that it's the idea of trying to find something that has a unifying meaning something that could just solve the problem like that and I feel like this is what Olivia and Zach are trying to do is solve the problem by going back going back to nature going back to the way it was and you know it's which you know, is often a very yahoo sort of thing we get from a lot of people when things go wrong as like they tell you to invoke the blitz spirit or fucking you know remember 9-11 shit like that you know it's you get people like that who can't remember all the other things that they should remember when it comes to that or just go you know we could just do this if we unified and fought together because that's what we should do they think that no no we've got to do exactly like this where everyone was miserable and people's houses were being blown up every five seconds or or, or millions of people were dying because we didn't have the medical treatment you know, available at that time we should do it just like that and ignore the fact that we've made all these medical improvements and <laughs> or, 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 <laughs> that, that we are supposed to be better as a society and yeah you know, that, there's maybe that's probably pushing too much on the film but the way Wheatley is with people and how he projects people out on screen it kind of feels like that's part of it yeah, I think that takes you back to the uh, the age-old adage of, like, the road to hell is paved in good intentions, right? Because the, mm. they didn't start out wanting to become these monsters of the woods, if you will, but inevitably that is where they're sort of trying to understand. They go to great pains to understand what's happening and whatnot, and inevitably it becomes their own undoing. But, you know, I think that there's a really crucial line in this that's early on, and I believe it's uh, Martin who says it, or Alma says it. She goes, everyone will forget what happened, referring to the pandemic. And Martin goes, no, I don't think anyone will, which reminded, you know, I've been subsequently watching or rewatching The Leftovers. And there's a line early on in that show 
where there's like all the dogs in the neighborhood after the event that happens in that show are like running amok, they run away. It's kind of like these roving gangs of dogs. And one of the characters essentially says like, uh, the dogs have gone feral. Uh, they're going feral in response to like this cataclysmic event. And the same thing is happening to people. It's just taking longer. And that's yeah. one element that I think this film captures really well in that it made me start to think about the events of In the Earth are not isolated. And if anything, they feel like they are hyperbably of how people are responding to the pandemic, right? This is the most mm. heightened instance of in a film that's so grounded, whether or not there's actually the supernatural uh, mystery in the background or these things or uh, influences. At the end of the day, these are people responding to a pandemic that yeah. they never thought, or most people would never think that they themselves would live through or experience in their lifetime. And you know, you and I, I'm sure can relate to that. The idea that we've both been alive long enough that we never probably thought we were going to deal with a global pandemic like the world had never seen before. Like that's not something mm -hmm. that we have in our consciousness and whatnot. And you know, while you and I are more than likely not gonna run off in the wilderness and start hacking people to bits <laughs> with axes and whatnot, <laughs> the pandemic itself and the nature of it has probably changed us in some ways that we don't even recognize yet. And of course, they are not going mm -hmm. to be to the extremes of this film, but it's, I think that In the Earth does such a great job of capturing his Black Wheatley's black comic sensibilities and whatnot in that it's kind of like the worst case scenario for how people respond to a event that yeah. they can't quite quantify or an event that they think they have an understanding of, but really there's going to be these long, um, long the standing sort of like after effects in terms of just our ability to process an event that is ha a mass casualty event or an event that we keep being told every three or four months is on the verge of ending. <laughs> and then you get a new nine to 12 month stint or chapter in that. Um, and I think that that's an element again, that makes this film for me, one of the least offensive uh, pandemic films that doesn't really outright make the pandemic the focal mm. point of the film. Again, it is very much the silent backdrop of everything, but they don't spend, again, they don't shove it down your throat. And it comes back to the right. idea that you mentioned in terms of like the nature versus science and whatnot, and or faith versus science and these different types of conversations that are, in, they're very, they play such an important and vital role to the narrative and everything, but it's never done so in a way that feels overbearing. It just feels yeah. like a, a, an expert handling of so many different influences and different goals with the film that That's you might it, not yeah. be expecting through from the outset yeah it's broad you know rather than focusing on anything in particular i mostly it feels like an excuse to implement you know the things they had to you know like um doing the covid stations you know with the hand washing and the spraying and things like that it just feels like you know we have to just sort of add that in and you know it was clearly part of the inspiration so yeah it, it, it works for the film and you know like I said it's a big reason why for me the film works so well because it just feels like something coming out of something else in, in the right way rather than just like let's see how we can cash in on the pandemic you know like by putting COVID out there because it's a SEO hot word no it's right. no it's, it's a case of like no, I, I'm really fascinated by it. You know, that's why I imagine Wheatley was like, I'm fascinated by what this is doing and you know, the, the way it's affecting people. And I kind of want to see how I can make a film with these restrictions and with these things in place and implement them. 
like that. And you think of how many films that got made during this, you know, and you can tell not because of what's shown that, that reflects the pandemic itself, but in corners that were cut, in things that didn't don't look quite as good uh, as they could have. Um, even even in the biggest studios, you know, you think to Disney and. I looked at some parts of Hawkeye's filming, and mm. it's, it's clear that it was, you know, we couldn't do much here because we needed to be somewhere, we couldn't do this because of that. And it, it, you could tell it was pandemic related, that it didn't look as good as it should at certain points. And it feels like there, at some point during filming, they kind of got, well, okay, let's try and make the story a bit more about where we can film and make it easier to film and then get lucky with restrictions lifting where they did. But here, yeah, it's very much like, no, we'll do it within the restrictions. What better than a movie with a small cast? Brilliant, like that. And it works so well as a result. And you don't even have to know that to enjoy it, or I say mm. enjoy it, but, you know, I think Have an appreciation helps. for yeah, it. Yeah, appreciate it, yeah. And you, um, but to know that, just makes me respect it more mm. uh, especially and again just saying to that gap of Wheatley doing what he did and what he does it it's lovely to see a director do that not because he's failed and you know had to you know come crawling back to what he did in the first place because no studio in Hollywood will take it I mean like I said he's taking a fucking blockbuster on next and yeah to, to see him go at it and have another go at it and be invigorated by it like that is so warming which is mm. odd to say about a Ben Wheatley film but it is you know, it's like, it really is um, long may he continue to make films like this that make people very upset or very happy so <laughs> in very almost very equal measure I might add that's the thing I can't wait to see what he does next after you know his next Hollywood big Hollywood movie mm. Because if this is what he's able to do with those restrictions, and you know, I, the only element really about In the Earth that I don't particularly care for is a lot of the handheld shots didn't necessarily work for me, but that is such a minor criticism in the grand scheme of that film that yeah. I can't wait to see what he is able to do post-pandemic when he maybe steers more into his niche corner of horror free of the influence that comes with that bigger budget and those inevitably bigger stars and whatnot. Um, and he just has such an interesting eye i think for capturing the elements of his films that you would think would be the least important or maybe the most inconsequential and they end up really not only informing but they end up being the highlight of the films yeah. themselves for me and i think that that's an element that i really can't wait to see him flourish with more not that he hasn't already but seeing something that is free of the restrictions and the conflicts that come with you know making a uh, making a film in our current pandemic. And, you know, for anybody that's a fan of uh, Dark Horse Comics, he's apparently adapting uh, Hard Boiled, which is one of my favorite Frank Miller miniseries mm. of all time. Uh, so, you know, that's something that I imagine will have a somewhat of a Hollywood budget on, but it's still more of a niche comic book series that uh, I can't wait to see what he does with that. But yeah, that was uh, In the Earth with Mr. Neil Bolt. As always, my friend, it's a pleasure having you on Daily Horror Habits to chat. Absolutely a pleasure to talk about this. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.